Welcome to the Jesus Church Podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence, to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. Hi friends, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Psalm chapter 16. Psalm 16 is gonna be our teaching text for today and we're in a series right now called Going Deeper. And the hope of this series is to help flesh out the how of our vision statement. You heard Bryce say our vision earlier, but just so it's in front of us, here it is one more time. We exist to join God in the renewal of all things by becoming a unified, spirit-filled family that follows the way of Jesus. I think that this is a beautiful vision, a compelling picture of what we hope to become. But here's the thing, if we ever want to actually see this vision come to life in our community and to be something that we embody with our everyday ordinary lives, it has to be more than just a statement that we say or memorize. And so each week of this series, we're looking at one essential ingredient of our vision and unpacking how we can incorporate that ingredient into our lives in such a way that it starts to work its way into to our hearts and out through our hands. And today, the ingredient that we're going to be exploring together is God's presence. As we read our teaching text for today, notice how David prioritizes and pursues God's presence. He starts by saying this, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their name on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With Him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. It probably won't come as a surprise to many of you, especially those that know me, that I am a recovering perfectionist. In my life, perfectionism has been the tool that I tend to reach for or the armor that I put on to protect myself, to feel safe and to prove to myself and other people that I'm enough, good enough, smart enough, strong enough, worthy enough, you get it. Somewhere along the way for me, I started looking to perfectionism as a way to protect me from disappointing myself and others, thinking that somehow through perfectionism, I'd be able to gain the security and the safety I need to experience my identity and my relationship with God and others. But what I'm learning more and more, mostly through failure, is that when I sow perfectionism, it reaps a harvest of pressure, panic, and pain. 
And nothing makes me more aware of that truth than coming face to face with the unknown and unexpected. Maybe for you, it's not perfectionism. Maybe for you, you tend to reach for apathy, control, power, or sarcasm to cope with the unexpected of life. But whatever it is for you, the truth is that when we're faced with the unexpected, especially when that unexpected includes tragedy, it has a way of revealing what our faith is really in. When the plans no longer agree with what I've pinned into my calendar, when all the expectations that were dancing around in the unseen spaces of my heart and my mind go unmet, I feel vulnerable. And I don't know about you, but for me, that vulnerability often feels like being at a middle school dance and realizing that I'm clapping and dancing offbeat. Like I feel awkward, out of sync, exposed. And much as much as I think that perfectionism will like bring me back onto beat, it seems that the harder I try, the worse it gets. This year started out unexpectedly for me in a variety of ways that I don't have time to get into. But one of those ways is playing itself out right in front of you as I preach into a camera. I wasn't scheduled to preach this week. I thought I had another couple weeks to prep, but with the change of weather, we needed to pivot some things around. And, and a change like that in my world, it tends to be synonymous with unsettling feelings of fear, panic, and even dread as I start to process how the majority of the time I thought I had to prep has flown out the window. Except this time, those things didn't come up. And it's not because I've somehow now come into contact with like a shortcut or silver bullet to sidestep perfectionism and the pressure and pain that comes along with it. I'm not here to preach a formula or a life hack to help you navigate your way through the jolting wake-up call that's often accompanied with life's unexpected twists and turns. But here's what I am discovering. Reading Psalm 16, more than that, letting the psalm read me, in a sense, has been a way of helping me let go of perfectionism. It's been like throwing an anchor into the deep end of God's love and presence so that when the current of the unexpected tries to pull me under, there's actually something that's strong enough to hold me. And so this morning, to help us embody our vision and go deeper in our life with God, I want us to look at three things that Psalm 16 teaches us about the centrality of God's presence for going deeper. Number one is this. Going deeper is about treasuring God's presence more than His presence. In his book, You Are What You Love, philosopher James K.A. Smith writes this. To be human is to be animated and oriented by some vision of the good life, some picture of what we think counts as flourishing. And we want that. We crave it. We desire it. We're oriented by our longings, directed by our desires. My guess is that you probably want to live a life that's considered significant or successful in some way. Whether we're willing to admit it or not, I think the longing for a life of purpose, as elusive as it can seem, is something that just about every person who's ever lived has felt on some level. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. I think it makes sense that this is something that we desire. But like Smith said, we are oriented by our longings, directed by our desires, in other ways, our lives are always moving in the direction of where we think we'll discover joy. And that sense of significance or success that we all want to experience in life. Which means that in order to really grasp the direction our lives are headed, we have to pause long enough to ask ourselves the question, what is success? 
Or because so much of our understanding of success in America is connected to what will make us happy, another way of asking that question is, where do I turn to find joy? And in Psalm 16, David's answer to that question is really clear. The last line of Psalm 16 is this, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. David's ultimate source of life is in the person and presence of God. So when other desires and needs come up for him, like in verse one where he's praying for safety, that longing for safety then leads him to look for it in God's presence. Look at verse one. He says this, keep me safe, my God, for in you, I'd take refuge. Again, his longing for safety determines his direction. It leads him to look for satisfaction of that longing in God's presence. Ultimately, David desires God's presence more than presence. David wants God more than the gifts that God can give him. And when our desire is set in the same direction, the direction of God's presence, we too start to move deeper into the fullness of joy that is found in God's presence. It's good news. David makes his point even clearer through the pictures that he points to describe his relationship with the Lord. Verse 15 and 16 says this, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. These pictures, portion, cup, lot, and inheritance would have been really familiar to the Israelite readers. After the conquest of the land of Canaan by the Israelites, the land was divided by lot, which is like rolling the dice. In Numbers 26, 55, we read this. But the land shall be divided by lot. They shall receive their inheritance according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. So David here, he's drawing on really familiar concepts of inheritance and division of land by lots to express his trust in God's control over circumstances that are beyond his influence. But even more than that, even more than his trust in God's sovereignty, David here is highlighting the eternally secure nature of his inheritance. Because for David, the Lord is not just the portion of his inheritance, but the entirety of it. Paul picks up on this in Romans 8 chapter, in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And he helps us see that when we say God is our portion, it means that we are finding happiness and our sense of success solely in God. It's a way of us saying, God, I value you and your promises and your presence above worldly possessions or comforts. The picture of the cup that David uses extends beyond a literal physical vessel. David is saying that God is the very source of life and abundance. In Psalm 23, verse 5, David says, His cup is overflowing. And in Psalm 16, he's declaring that the Lord himself is his cup. Again, this is highlighting how God himself is the ultimate source of abundance and sustenance in the life of David. The pursuit of God's presence wasn't secondary in David's life. It was something that it wasn't something that sat on the periphery of all his other pursuits. It was central. God's presence was central in how David lived all of life. For David, God wasn't the means to an end. He was the end. David's goal wasn't to use God. His goal was God. 
And when you and I start to see God for who he really is, and when we desire his presence more than presence, God ceases to be a means to an end for us. He ceases to be a commodity that we consume. Instead, God himself becomes the focus of our deepest desires. In 2011, Sky Jathani wrote a book titled With. And if you want to learn more about how to actually see and seek God's presence like David did, I highly recommend reading it. It has had a massive impact on my life when it comes to how I relate to God. But in the book, Sky points out why so many of us tend to settle for setting our desires on things that don't actually satisfy us. He writes this, It's been my experience that when most people hear or think about God, they have less than a complete and sometimes entirely flawed vision of who He is. As a result, they don't tend to desire Him. At best, they see Him as a useful instrument for achieving something more desirous. But if their vision were enlarged or corrected, if they could see his unrivaled beauty, grasp his unconditional love, perceive his radiant glory, and experience his untainted goodness, then, then it would become obvious that he is much more than a deity to simply tolerate or a device to employ. In other words, God would cease to be how we acquire our treasure, and he would become our treasure. I'm going to read that last line again. In other words, God would cease to be how we acquire our treasure, and He would become our treasure. Going deeper is about treasuring God's presence more than His presence. But a vision of God that moves us to treasure Him is not the same as actually living life with Him, which leads to our second point. Going deeper is about getting free from idols so that we are free to live with God. In Psalm 16, verse 4, David says, Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. Tim Keller defines an idol as anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you. And according to David, the pursuit of those idols only brings more and more suffering into our life. Why? Because they separate us from him. Perfectionism is an idol in my life. It's something that I'm tempted to look to, to give to me what only God can give me. And when I can see that for what it is, I can actually start to take steps out of the shallow end where I'm tempted to use God or dismiss God and begin to move into the deep end where His presence becomes the source and satisfaction of all my deepest wants. Sin and idols are obstacles to God's presence that you and I cannot overcome in and of our own strength and goodness. But in order to be restored into relationship with God so that we can live with Him, that obstacle has to be overcome. It has to be dealt with. And friends, this is why our vision statement starts with, we exist to join God. We exist to join God. The emphasis is on partnering and pursuing a life lived with God. Joining God necessitates a relationship with Him. 
In Genesis, we read about uh, God get, God living in Trinitarian relationship with himself. We, we see God uh, living with man and woman in unbroken relationship. And so it makes sense that it's through relationship with God that you and I are reconciled and restored to God. This is the good news of the gospel. Lean into this. This is the good news that Jesus came not just as a beautiful revelation of who God is so that we might treasure him, but he also came to reconcile us to God. He came to reconcile us to God so that our deepest desire, which is to be with him, and his deepest desire, which is to be with us, might actually be fulfilled. On the cross, Jesus removed the barrier of sin and death, and he opened up the way for us to live life with him again. And our part in that reconciling work is to simply trust in what Jesus has done. It's just called faith. Faith in Jesus is how we are united with God. I think so often our doing stuff for God or our obsession with what we can get from God, it starts to eclipse a life that was meant to be lived with God. And when that happens, when our vision for the good life gets clouded by what we get from God or what we can do for God, we're tempted like Adam and Eve to then question God's goodness and we question His love and start to settle for something less. Putting our faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, though, it sets us free from sin and the hold that idols have on our lives. But we're not just free from something. We're free for something. And that something is a life that is lived with God, a life that is saturated and sourced in the deep end of His loving presence. Friend, the Bible is a love story. It's a love story that details God's relentless pursuit of His people. From start to finish, the scriptures reveal God's great desire to be with His people. In Genesis, we see Him walking in the garden with the man and the woman, seeking to rule over creation in partnership with Him. And then the crescendo of history in Revelation is the reunion of God and humanity. Revelation 21, 3-4 says this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. But here's the thing, oftentimes when you and I hear this, when we hear the good news of the gospel proclaimed that Jesus is the power to set us free from sin so that we're free to then enjoy and experience life with God, we tend to mistake that life with God as something that starts in heaven after we die. But that's actually not true. And to think that it is is such a tragedy because it means that we then miss out on experiencing the depth and richness of God's presence that is available to us right here, right now. Dallas Willard, he put it this way, the treasure we have in heaven is also something very much available to us now. We can and should draw on it as much as needed for it is nothing less than God himself and the wonderful society of his kingdom even now interwoven into my life. Eternity, he writes, is now ongoing. I am now leading a life that will last forever. Having been reconciled with God through Jesus, you and I don't have to wait. We are invited to experience life with God here and now. 
Okay, so to recap, so far we've seen that going deeper is first, a journey that moves us to treasure his presence more than his presence. And number two, going deeper is a journey that frees us from sin and idols so that we are free to live life with God. And finally, number three, the way that you and I actually grow deeper is by practicing being present with God. Again, going deeper means practicing being present with God. One of the beauties of days like today, of not being able to gather together in one place, is that it reminds us that God's presence is not confined to particular places. Now, don't mishear me. I do believe that God's presence shows up in a unique way when His people gather, and that the embodied gathering together with the diversity of God's children is essential for living out and growing deeper in our faith. The New Testament is super clear on that. Online gatherings are great. But to only gather in this way reinforces a consumeristic, convenience-driven approach to life with God that stunts our ability to move out of the shallow end and into maturity. Only ever gathering online or connecting with people in this way also denies our human need and nature. We are hardwired for embodied community. We were made to do life together. All that said, because Jesus has given us the gift of His Holy Spirit, His presence is available to us 24-7. And days like today, well, really every day for that matter, is an opportunity to put that truth into practice. As Brother Lawrence, a 17th century monk, said about his rich communion with God, he writes this, Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. He's essentially saying, if you want to experience intimacy with God, if you want to grow in awareness of His presence, you have to practice it and experience it for yourself. And the life of Jesus shows us how. Jesus lived with constant awareness of His Father's presence with Him and in Him. The gospel writers record multiple moments where Jesus sets out to enter into intentional times of solitude and stillness. That's what David's doing in Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is a prayer. It's a prayer that David prayed during an intentional set-apart time with God. And since he wrote it down, we get to eavesdrop on his conversation and learn how to cultivate relational intimacy with God in our own lives. But those moments of prayer on the mountainsides or those pockets of rest and retreat from the crowds to meet with God, they didn't contain or constrict Jesus' communion with the Father. When you study the life of Jesus, you start to see how his definition of prayer was way more than just communication to God. It was communion with God. I'm going to say that again. Prayer in the life of Jesus, it was more than just communication to God. It was communion with God. For lots of people, we tend to evaluate our relationship with God based on whether or not we read our Bibles that week or whether or not we went to church or asked Him for help. But Jesus models what experiencing a life with God that's lived in the deep end of relational intimacy actually looks like. In John 14, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to His people. And in the same conversation, He invites us to abide in Him. And this call to abide, it's not an invitation to chat every so often. It's an ongoing state of being. You and I are invited to live in ongoing communion with God. 
And this is only made possible through the presence of his Holy Spirit who lives with us and in us. Jesus's invitation to abide, it means that it is possible. It's possible, friends, for you and I to live in constant, unending communion with God. Thomas Kelly, he wrote about this kind of life in his book, A Testament of Devotion. He described it as simultaneity, the ability to be engaged with two things at the same time. He writes this, There is a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level, we may be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs. But deep within, behind the scenes, at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, and a gentle receptiveness to divine breathing. The secular world today values and cultivates only the first level, believing this is where the real business of mankind is done. But we know, but we know that the deep level of prayer is the most important thing in the world. It is at the deep level that the real business of life is determined. I want to leave you with a story from the life of Billy Graham that Sky records in his book, With. As we close, I want to encourage you to allow this story to give you a vision, maybe a picture or a starting place for what a life lived in the deep end of God's presence might look like. In 1982, the Today Show in New York City scheduled an interview with Reverend Billy Graham. When he arrived at the studio, one of the program's producers informed Graham's assistant that a private room had been set aside so that the reverend had a place to pray before the broadcast. The assistant thanked the producer for the thoughtful gesture, but told him that Mr. Graham would not need the room. The producer was a bit shocked that a world-famous Christian leader would not wish to pray before being interviewed on live national television. Graham's assistant responded, Mr. Graham started praying when he got up this morning. He prayed while he was eating breakfast. He prayed on the way over in the car, and he'll probably be praying all the way through the interview. Sky goes on to point out how Graham understood that his life with God was not on hold until his death. It was something to be enjoyed in the present through prayer. And while setting aside times of solitude for prayer was necessary, those minutes could not contain the fullness of his communion with God. He had learned to live all his life on two levels. On one level, he engaged in the activities of the day, but on a deeper level, he was constantly communing with his treasure. Friends, communion with God through intimate relationship with his presence is the deep end that we as a church want to wade into. And it looks like, number one, treasuring God's presence more than his presence. Number two, getting free from idols so that we are free to live with God. And number three, being present with God right here and right now and practicing that every single day. If you and I go about living out our vision in any other way, it's going to end in one of two ways. Either we'll get burnt out from exhaustion of striving in our own strength, or worse, we'll compromise. And so what would it look like for you? What would it look like for me to step out of the shallow end and into the deep end of God's presence this week? 
Another really unique opportunity that I think Church Online offers us today is the ability to end our time in discussion or reflection. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Before you turn off your screen and move into the rest of your day, just take a few minutes to pause this video and chat with the people in your home about the questions that are going to come up on the screen. And if you're home alone, I want to encourage you, maybe call up a friend, FaceTime them, FaceTime someone you might know who's been watching and discuss together, or use the questions as a guide for personal reflection. And for all the parents who are watching who have kids that have reached their absolute end of attention span, my encouragement to you would just be to take two minutes right now, maybe even 30 seconds, and just circle up and pray for God to help you as a family to move into the deep end of His love by increasing your awareness of His presence more and more. Love you, friends. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at JesusChurch.org.